Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. We are back. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Can rest I of the hear sermon, you? Can you hear Tyler? me? We're there. We're here. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. How are you in your jacket? I'm doing okay. It's a little cold in here yeah, today. I got, so I got that. Uh, I got that AC, that thermostat term way down yeah. up in this mug. But I would much rather be cold than hot. Would you? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you, for you sure. can only t- you can't take off your skin. If I wake when you're up hot, if, if you're I, cold, you can layer. If I wake up hot, I'm mad enough to punch a small child. <laughs> And, and mostly it's because there is a small child <laughs> who's caused me to be hot, oh you know, gosh. or something like that. Yeah, so. I want to wake up cold enough where coffee actually doesn't just wake me up, but it warms me up. That's yeah, a, sometimes I want it to be so cold that I might need a blanket to make coffee. Oh, yeah. There's nothing better than sitting on sitting on your couch with a blanket, man. Yeah, dude. It's nice being nice and chilly. A little Bible, a little coffee, a little blanket. Yeah, man. Absolutely. little, little BBC. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. We're back in it. We're in Psalm 7 this week. Yeah, we week. are. Psalm Making our way 7. through, man. Yeah, well, this is our third Psalm of Lament, um, the, th- <laughs> the third one that we visited all back to back. Um, I'm going to read through the Psalm, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, what we're getting into here, and then... Uh, hold on a minute. There it is. There it is. I wonder how many people yeah. have yawned listening to it now. It's contagious. Driving in their car. Yeah. I had two cups of coffee this morning, too. Yeah. All right, Psalm chapter 7, reading from the ESV. Please follow along. In you do I take refuge, Psalm 7, here's the header, a Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Verse 1, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, If there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and his own skull, his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. This is our third Psalm of <laughs> Lament. Yep. And aptly titled because of the content which we will arrive to, Safety Amidst the Slander. Yep. How to find safety in slander. And so you come to this psalm. This is our third uh, psalm of lament that we've studied in the, in the uh, Summer in the Psalm series. Uh, and we said this a, a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 5. We defined uh, uh, what lamenting isn't, which I think is helpful for us to just revisit. We, we said lamenting is not simply being mad or complaining to God. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's not just something that we are... Uh, our, our emotions aren't something that just drive us and guide us, and it's not whining. Yep. Um, it's actually more than that. You defined it for us this week as biblical lamenting is the act of intentionally directing our emotions to God in order to experience the grace of God. This is the definition of lament that we've had for the last three weeks. Can we talk about that definition a little bit, what that means, and maybe we can talk a little bit about what it doesn't mean? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when we come to lamenting, I mean, we're talking over one-third of the Psalms here. This is a big deal. There's an entire book of the Bible named Lamentations. And it's something that I think um, we don't know what to do with. Yeah. And when we do do something with it, I think we make it and say things like, it's okay to be angry. Yeah. Look at the Psalms. Mm. Now, there's a level of truth there to that. Yeah. But what we said is lamenting isn't just being angry. Yeah. Or lamenting isn't just expressing your emotions. Now, it's no less than that. But it's a bit more than that. Yeah. And and we said that that it's the act of intentionally directing our emotions to God in order to experience the grace of God. The, yeah. the key in that is lamenting positions you yeah. to experience the healing that is needed. Yeah. This is literally the God-given way that we can heal from emotional wounds, trauma, or suffering. And, um, you know, I even used a very boots-to-the-ground um, practical illustration from a guy by the name of Daniel McConchie. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy from Illinois. He's actually running for senator. But long story short, living this just fairy tale life, served in the Army National Guard. And on June 22nd, 2007, he was involved in a hit and run on mm-hmm. his motorcycle. And the person in the other vehicle um, hit him and ran off and has never been found to this day. Wow. And he now is paralyzed from the waist down. He lives for the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And he was going through horrible depression and turmoil, obviously, yeah. with such immense suffering. And there's a really good quote that you can go listen to um, You know, that's in the sermon. But I didn't read in the sermon, and since this is the rest of the sermon, he talks about, the quote talks about, that while he was doing physical therapy or when he was up at night and couldn't sleep or learning how to live life in this wheelchair, that he found great comfort in the Psalms of Lament, mm. that he said that he really felt like that he learned as to what it is to lament. And he wrote, you can look it up online, type in his name, Daniel uh, McOnchi, and uh, put the words modern day lament, and we'll put a link in the show notes. But here's just some of it. It's long, but he says this. Yeah. Oh, Lord, my God, why do you wait to show up? I cried out to you when trouble struck. I asked for your restoration, and I know that you heard me. I know that you answered as well. And then he goes down and says this, Please slay me. Blot out my name from the ranks of the living, for in the grave I can finally rest. My wife can have her dreams again and my children a father who can provide as I should. 
I mean, he goes on and lay, I mean, this is a man who is suffering and his life has been forever changed. And he said, the only thing that got me through was knowing that I could read these Psalms and that I could direct my emotions to God, lay myself bare before God and then experience the grace of God. And and I didn't use that just as an opener or this, that, and the other, but yeah. that's real. That yeah. is like a boots to the ground yeah. man, as to what it is to lament. Yeah, and when you talked about that term, well, back up a little bit. Let's re-talk about spiritual bypassing for just a moment yep. because that's not what, what this guy is doing. How do you say his name? Daniel McConchie? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not what this guy is. Spiritual bypassing, we, we define this, uh, sim- simply means that you use spiritual concepts, platitudes, or activities to, quote, bypass or avoid dealing with your true, honest feelings, especially the hard ones like anger, grief, fear, loneliness, envy, and shame. Like, this guy didn't just say, hey, like, look at everything else. I have a beautiful wife and kids. God's sure. been good to me. I don't need to be sad. He actually goes to God in this definition of biblical lamenting, directing his emotions to him and thereby experiencing God's grace in the midst of such a tragic event. Absolutely. Um, and so we move into um, the header here. At the header of Psalm uh, of Psalm 7, uh, it says, a shigayon? Uh, or Great. A, I don't know how to I say it. I went to it. public yeah. school, buddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't uh, spell mayonnaise. Yeah. So I'm not... <laughs> Shaggy and Scooby of David, which yeah, he right. sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush. Um, you broke that down and basically said that we don't have an actual definition for that word, but the, how it's used in the Psalms of Lament, it basically shows us context-wise that this is going to be an emotional song. Yeah, it's a liturgical term. Yeah. So so it's a musical term like to speed up or slow down. Yeah. That just means really intense music, yeah. like highly emotional. Yeah. So we can we can expect to know that this is an, a, a psalm that is to be read um, from the context of, of the, the author, David, being very emotionally distraught. And we've yep. said this before, your emotions aren't your enemy. Yep. God wants us to come to him, not just with our prayers, but also with our emotions. And in this specific Psalm, uh, it's got a reason for David's emotions, for for being such an emotional text. And it's this idea of slander. Yep. It comes from this idea of, of slander. Just like we, we told the story about Daniel, um, uh, something that had been uh, the awful thing that had been done to right. him um, for here for David it's slander. So can we do we can we define? I know that you've got a couple verses here and then sure. we drop down for the definition. Can we can we bump that definition yep. up of slander first and then talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about slander? Yeah, for sure. So just in the header it says Cush concerning the words that he spoke, and so we know in the life of David. I can't point to chapter and verse like First Samuel or Second Samuel, but yeah. we know there was this Benjamite by the name of Cush, who probably worked for King Saul. And David, if you know anything about his story, was in serious conflict with Saul. Saul's pursuing his life. Throwing spears at him. Yes, trying to kill David. And what Cush does is goes around and slanders, sows discord, um, tells all of Israel these untrue things um, about David. And David is just distraught about this because we know how hard it is to get the toothpaste back in the tube, you know? And the funny thing is when writing the kids' side curriculum, uh, you know, they our kids' side kids on Sunday are studying the same thing that Let's we're go. studying in, in the chapel. And so we believe if your kids can play Fortnite, Snapchat, and do this, that, and the other, that they can learn a little bit of theology as well. Amen. And so they're just learning it on their level. And so when writing that curriculum, I defined slander for them a certain way, and I thought, you know what? That communicates and that hits home for us as adults. Yeah. That, that is true. And so very simply, we said slander is slaying a person with your words. Wow. 
That's what slander is. Yeah. When it comes to reputation, when it comes to anything, yeah. it is slaying a person. Yeah. Intentionally. You are speaking yeah. intentionally to harm someone yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, man. Form. And dude, when I was doing just a cursory reading yeah. and looking at the scriptures as to how God feels about slander. Yeah, go through those. Dude, I was really a taken back. Yeah. Like and it's fun doing this. Like, you know, you drop into a psalm that kind of has a general concept and you're like, hey, what does the rest of the Bible say about yeah. this? Um, I mean, Psalm 101.5, God says, whoever slanders his neighbor, secretly I will destroy. Mm. Now, wait, oh, wait, wait, hold up real okay. quick, just to clarify. Are we slandering secretly or is God secretly destroying? Yeah, is sure. It whoever, I, 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 yeah. this is just for clarity for me. Whoever is it? Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, like behind their back, Maybe. God says, "I will destroy." Yeah, because because I think by very definition, yeah. slander is not like confrontational to the right. person's face. It's easier to say behind their back. A hundred percent. You know, but God says, "I mean." And then when we look at yeah. the very definition in Exodus twenty sixteen, I mean, one of God's top ten out of the ten commandments is, "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." That's yeah. where we get lying. Yeah. Lying is just a distortion form of slander yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. And then understanding Satan's name. Yeah. Like the derivative of Satan's name. In Revelation 13, we see that Satan accuses, and the word accuses there could be translated slander. Yeah. Slanders God's people day and night. Yeah. That Satan's name literally means slanderer. Yeah. And and that's just a very brief cursory yeah. reading of 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 how God feels about well, slander. Well, and, and I I know that I we we live in the Bible Belt. We have a lot of denominations and a lot of people who gather and worship in different ways and all of that and think about things like uh the the spiritual and the demonic and the heavenly and all of that in different ways. So I want to revisit this uh, this corrective thought for a moment about Satan. You you wake up with a headache and you're on your way to work and you run over a nail with your car. The devil or Satan is out to get me. Right. No, you you just ran over a nail with a headache and you're frustrated about it. Yep. Great opportunity. Go to God with that emotion sure. and lament about it. What Satan does is exactly what his name suggests, as was defined for us on Sunday. He slanders. Yes. He is a slanderer. He takes God's word. We, we see it in the garden. We see it in, uh, in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus enters the wilderness to be tempted. He takes God's word. He twists it into lies and hopes to harm, devour, destroy us with his very nature. 100%. And so you mentioned this on Sunday. Sunday, but I want to revisit it. You said it's not a stretch for us to call slander demonic. Yeah, man. Is slander demonic and why? A hundred percent. And that's a jarring statement and it should be because the number one thing that I've ever seen cause division or destroy a local church is gossip and slander, yeah. is the very words. And yeah. just think about this. When we look in the New Testament, Ephesians, Colossians, anytime Paul talks about the new man, the new creation in Christ, yeah. he spends a majority of time saying, now, speak wholesome. Yeah. He talks about the very words that we say. Yeah, man. And, and Jesus goes on to say that it's because our words are so important because they're a window into our heart. Yeah. So what's coming out of your mouth is inside your heart. Yeah. And that's why it is such a big deal. And I think it's a big deal and important to say that because quite frankly, we just don't really think we're guilty of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I said this on Sunday, according to, from what I've studied in scripture, if you share that meme 
or if you share that post yeah. that slanders the president or the, I, listen, I don't care who it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you share that stuff and you do that on social media, you are guilty of slander. Yeah. That is passing that stuff on. Yeah, man. And so I said, listen, this day and age with social media, with yeah. cancel culture and all of that, dude, Psalm seven's relevant yeah. for us, man. Yeah. It's a, well, it's a, it's something that we can be aware that we can be aware of in our own lives and ask God to forgive us and yes. expunge that from our hearts. But the Bible also has to, has to say, has things to say about when we are slandered yep. as believers. So let's go through a few of these in Matthew five, 11 through 12 sermon on the Mount. Bless are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? <laughs> First of all, I love that it says blessed right, right there. And then the very next sentence is rejoice and yep. be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see this, we see a theme already that we talk about a little through the sermon. Um, but already it looks like Jesus is telling us that as his followers were to behave and react differently. Yes. Behave and react differently, specifically in this psalm to slander. So, anchoring in on those few words from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed or rejoice, be glad. How can we place ourselves in a posture of of rejoicing sure. when we are slandered? Yeah, so this connects to when we see in Proverbs and a lot in the Old Testament talking about a good name is to be pursued more than riches, about character and yeah. those type of things. And what slander does is, is it ruins that. And Jesus gives the answer when he says, for great is your reward in heaven. Yeah. So the only way to um, survive or to persevere through slander is to recognize that the only opinion that counts and matters is the creator of the universe. Yeah. So no matter who or what is saying something about you, at the end of the day, you know what God says about you. Yeah. And Jesus says, in those moments, you can rejoice yeah. because great is your reward That's in good. heaven for that. That's good. We have Paul, too, to the church in Corinth. I love we, this. We work hard with our own hands. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 14. We work hard with our own hands. Listen up, Christians. We work hard with right. our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. There it is again. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly when we have become we have become the scum of the earth the garbage can the garbage of the world right up until this moment i am writing this not to shame you but to warn you as my dear children my yeah. goodness man yeah i said on sunday i've never seen that verse in hobby lobby <laughs> on a sign we are scum and garbage that hangs guys. above our kitchen table yeah check out this new sign i got this is great right <laughs> and and listen there's a reason why <clears throat> yeah. we're reading these things is because we shouldn't be shocked it is coming yeah this is who our enemy is yeah and this is one of the number one ways that the enemy can engage yeah. and quite frankly defeat some believers. And Jesus says yeah. that if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be a lover of God, you better expect that the world will yeah. slander you. There are, part, there are parts of the earth right right now that are experiencing this. Yes. Um, so we see this theme of, of Jesus and Paul both encouraging Christians to respond differently than the world when it comes to slander. And that's all rooted and anchored in our identity and what God thinks of us in Christ. We have the response of rejoicing and blessing, but the big idea this week was actually the first step in all of the all of the steps here that we have. Yeah. The big idea was when you are spoken against, 
Go to Facebook and whine. No, that, was, right. that wasn't it. Right. When you are spoken against, speak to God. Yeah, man. Speak I, to God. I think that's just a very easy 30,000-foot yeah. view at Psalm 7. Yeah. How does David handle all of this happening? He speaks to God. Yeah, man. That's good. Well, the, so we're going to go through three points, uh, uh, three points from your sermon on Sunday that are from the text. Um, and we essentially lean into that. Well, you had an application point here after the big idea. What what do you do when your reputation is being ruined? If your business is on the line, your family name, your character. Uh, and this is just sort of a, a an answer to that. And the first point in the sermon of speaking to God, it's talk to God first. Yeah. We see, we see David doing just that in verses one and two it says, Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Those first words, O oh Lord, my God, and yeah. then in you do I take refuge. It's like, I mean, I know we've talked, this is like the third week that yep. we've revisited like talking to God first. It's yep. like God knows that this would be the thing that right. seems to crawl off the table for yep. us when we're spoken against or persecuted for our faith in Christ. But I'm, I'm going to ask this because it's important. It's the third time we see this back to back at the beginning of each of these Psalms, five, six, and seven. Why should we be reminding ourselves of this on a consistent basis to go to God first? Yeah, I think there's even in a, t you know, there's a tone in the text where it sounds like David is almost talking to himself mm. and reminding himself like, Lord God, in you do I take refuge. Yeah. Like, okay, this is the first thing. I need to talk myself off this ledge. Yeah. This is the first thing um, that I need to do. And I think it's important because... This reveals whether prayer is a rhythm in our life. Mm. So oftentimes we're probably not going to go to God first yeah. if we're not already talking to God consistently. That's good. And what this reveals to me is that David probably had a pretty consistent prayer life. And so it was natural for him to go to God first. Yeah. And, and the reason why I think this keeps coming up and, and we need to recognize it is we just really need to admit and confess and repent that that's not what we do first. Yeah. That's not our initial knee-jerk reaction. And I think it also reveals, you know, a shallow level of intimacy with the Lord that yeah. we have. Well, read that Chambers quote, Oswald Chambers. That yeah, it, man. It encapsulates it beautifully. Oswald, the, uh, the author of Upmost for His Highest, we tend to use prayer as a last resort. But God wants it to be our first line of defense. Yeah. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything. Let's go. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get an immediate result. Mm. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time because his idea of good time is seldom mm. in sync with our own. Man. Well, that guy's speaking truth. Yeah, right, right. He's, yeah. Jeez. Rushing for, I love what he says, to spend our time, we would rather do, uh, spend our time doing something that will get immediate results, yep. which links right into what, you have a little section here on what David didn't do. Yeah. What David didn't do when he was slandered. And all of these kind of line right into like trying to get immediate results and, and having our own effort. The first thing you said was uh, he didn't get on Facebook and bash Kush. Yeah. I, <laughs> listen, I said that a, a little tongue in cheek oh, there sure, for yeah. sure. But but the reality is, I think with social media yeah. and we have this outlet, we think either A, that everybody needs to hear what we have to say. Yeah. We have, yeah. I mean, listen, 
I talk to pastors all the time, and we even have these conversations, and I myself am grieved greatly when I log into social media and I see parishioners speaking the way that they are. And, And listen, if Jesus says that we will be judged by every careless word that we have spoken. Yeah, man. How many of us, God wouldn't even need to use his supernatural audio recording of his omnipresence of these conversations that we had. For a lot of us, God could just scroll through our Facebook wow. and and pronounce a judgment upon us there. Mm. And I know it's tempting. And yeah. listen, here's the crazy thing. All of these devices... And all of these platforms are designed for you to do this. Right. They live off of yeah, it. Yeah. They, listen, it is scientifically proven that negative comments yeah. and negative tweets on Twitter, those Facebook and Twitter or Instagram favor yeah. negative content. Yeah. They will gas it. Yeah. It spreads more. Listen, guys, there are Fortune 500 companies that have designed a world to work for you to literally get on social media and vent first. Yeah, man. Yeah. You remember life before social media? Oh, yes. Like I, I remember stick in the mud. I remember outside. going home from school and logging into ICQ. <laughs> Uh-oh. Or MSN Messenger. Yeah, yeah. And and what you would do then is the girl that you weren't brave enough to talk to at school, you would immediately oh, message yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it was limited. It was limited in those days because you could only be on so long before mom had to make a phone call or something yep. like that. Dial up internet, bro. Yeah. Well, I have, I have an interesting question that came to mind when yeah. talking about uh, social media, um, specifically like comment sections and stuff or, or posting. Because it's definitely an easy thing to engage in, like considering we hear so much of this in today's individualistic culture, stuff like this. Well, some Someone has spoken falsely about me. So that's not true. What you're hearing isn't true about blank, whether sure. it's me or a, a, a political event or something going on in the world. Should we ever use social media? Is there ever a time that we should tear someone's argument down, or I'm using finger quotes here, or clear the air or yeah. get the truth out there? Is there ever a time where we should utilize that platform? Um, may, I mean, call it like wanting to bring truth sure. to light or whatever. Is that an appropriate place for that? Yeah, it's a great that? question. It's a really good question. And I think a majority of the time, I would say no. Yeah. But I do think there are times where, let's say that somebody has engaged you publicly, okay? Yeah. And I think there might be a time where you can comment not defending yourself. Yeah. So I don't, uh, let me say it this way. I don't think there's ever a time to publicly defend yourself on social media. Mm. I think there are a few times where you can publicly acknowledge the charges that have been brought against you. That's good. And inform people of, hey, there are conversations that are happening behind closed doors, and that's where they're going to stay. Yeah. They're going to stay face-to-face, but... This wildfire is burning so hot that I have to acknowledge, A, I've read it, yeah. B, I know, and C, you need to know that this is being handled. Yeah. But I just, dude, I just don't know if there's ever time yeah. to publicly defend. You know, here's yeah. funny. I mean, we can talk about this. We're on the podcast, right? Um, are we? Is that where we are? <laughs> like this week, 
as I'm writing this sermon, my phone buzzes and I get information about Andrew Como mm. having to step down because of these allegations. Yeah. And I got a notification that he was holding a dude, as I'm writing this sermon, yeah. I get a notification that he's holding a live press conference, basically publicly defending himself. <laughs> Wow. And can we just all agree that no matter the politician or anything, that always looks forced yeah. and it never looks good. Yeah. It, it's just, there's a grossness about it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think it's because I just don't think that's the avenue for it, man. Yeah. No, I think that's that, that makes a lot of sense. That's, I, I read something. Um, it was a quote uh, from this last week, and it went something like this. We were never meant or designed to handle all of the information of everyone else's daily lives and daily crisis that are that's going on around the globe. Nope. We were never meant or designed to handle that, which nope. is why you're anxious. Yep. <laughs> the best like, illustration that I've heard one guy say is it's like a bandwidth on your Wi-Fi router yeah. at the house. Yeah. Your Wi-Fi router has a certain capacity that I can only handle so much information. Yeah. Your brain is the exact same way. Yeah. And we are not designed to be consuming this um, this yeah. amount of information, man. Yeah. Well, uh, bouncing back to what you mentioned about Como, um, the second thing that you said, what David didn't do is make a public spectacle of defending himself. Yeah. Like, at some point that there's, I don't know if there are grounds for this or not, but as as Christians, who we cling to for our identity, who we cling to for our hope, is it wrong to defend our reputation? Mm. I'm asking that question with those words chosen specifically. Is it wrong as Christians to defend our reputations? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think it comes down to a matter of, so for example, I believe that the scriptures teach that a pastor or lead pastor or teacher, that that is a public office, mm. that the office of elder is a public office. That means that you are seen, yeah. you know, in that sense. I believe that if a pastor sins and falls into grievous sin, that that information of restoration and repentance should also be public mm. because it's a public office. Yeah. And so I think that's a, a, a little bit of a helpful blueprint for us as Christians yeah. as well. We also have it in Matthew 18 where there's like the public address when Absolutely. You bring before the congregation. Which is the yeah. last step yeah, on a lot step. of things. But this leads into where we're going. I think if the knee-jerk reaction is I need to defend my reputation just for the sake of defending it, I think that's wrong. Yeah. And because what we're going to see is we're not passive in this. I'm not saying be a doormat. That's right. not what I'm saying. Yeah. What I am saying is we go to God and then we have a myriad of verses. Like yeah. here's one, Exodus 14, 14. Your God will fight for you. Yeah. All you need be is silent. Just remain silent. That should be a life verse for a lot of us. Yeah. And what our silence shows is that we are trusting God. Mm, that's good. I think a lot of times the more we speak and the more we defend ourselves, it shows our lack of trust in God. Wow, that's good. 
That's good. The third thing on this list was um, David didn't gather people around himself that will tell him what he wants to hear. For sure. Um, which which is, it's easy. It's easy to get around a group of people who are just saying yes to you all the I time. I think that's and, a partial motivation as to why we post online. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, What's the term? Confirmation bias? Absolutely. Like we want yeah, yeah we're, we feel right because it's confirmed. and Or we pick and choose what's confirming yeah. and we roll with that. Um, are there dangers of only, like, because as believers, we're, we are created in the image and likeness of God, God being the triune God, community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are a communal people. Yeah. Um, so as believers, we surround ourselves with other believers who hopefully believe and think similarly, not exactly like we do, yeah. um, but similarly and believe similarly to what we do and know like the, the uncompromisable truths that are in God's word. But what are the dangers of only surrounding ourselves with people who think just like us and confirm and agree with everything that we say? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love what you said. So Christians believe, like John 17, we believe in unity, but not uniformity. Mm, yeah. And so where we are unified as Christians is in our worldview. Yeah. This is how we view the world. There's some pretty serious non-negotiables. God is creator. God is sustainer. God is good. Jesus is God. Like, I mean, all yeah. of these, and this affects our worldview, how we look at the world and how the world operates and does everything like that. The problem when we live in a vacuum and only preach to the amen section in the choir is what we're really doing is revealing our immaturity. Hmm. Maturity only happens through sort of mutual engagement in that sense. Yeah. And so think about this. When you work out and you pick up that weight, that weight causes tension yeah. on your muscle. And when you exercise that muscle under that tension, that muscle grows and becomes stronger. Our belief systems are the same way. Tension is not a bad thing. It's mm. a good thing. Yeah. Tension is required for growth. Yeah. And so for us as believers, we would do well for either social media accounts or the books we read or the people that we engage with are not all cookie cutter versions of yeah. ourselves. We're doing ourselves a disservice there. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that tension is not your enemy. Yeah. Um, that, ten that tension can be your friend. If anything, it can help you grow. That's a really, really good application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of application, you had one here to, to round up this point. In times of crisis, what we're trying to say is this who, what, or where you turn to first often reveals what you love most. Yeah. What you idolize, what's at the center of your heart, or what, does, what do you daydream about? What do you wish that things would be like when things aren't going well? These reveal often what you love the most. And what that is, is that's a sentence that reveals our coping. Mm. And, and that's what David is doing. David yeah. is coping with this slander, yeah. but he's coping with it in an emotionally healthy biblical way. Yeah. He's processing his emotions through prayer in conversation with God. Yeah. And so anytime stress enters our world, you know, you, we, some, you know, you, the cliche, it was a stressful day at work. And the first thing the dad does when he walks in is he, you know, he makes a three finger whiskey or, you know, I mean, yeah. it's anytime what we go to for comfort and solace in is, is, is revealing what we love yeah. in that sense. And so I think if the relationship is healthy and there's rhythms and there's consistency there, 
God is going to be the first person that we turn to. Yeah, man. So that's good. Well, finding finding mm-hmm. safety in the midst of slander. First one, go to God first. Talk to God first. The second one was this: turn your critics into coaches. You've said you've told this before, but I yeah. love it. I'm going to read from uh, verses three through five, and then we'll talk about that illustration. Oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, <laughs> like first of all, right? Like I'm so convicted by these verses. Absolutely. What? What Christian is do is is doing this? What per, yeah? What what person, person is saying if I have it's all it's always you're doing this yep. or I'm con, you know verse three oh Lord my God if I have done this and going deeper if there is wrong in my hands going deeper verse four if I have repaid my friend with evil or even further plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let, let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dead. Let me have it. Yep. Let, let, let me get what is do these wrong things in my life. Dude, before we get into your second point, turn your critics into coaches, I just want to talk about why is that so hard? Ugh. Why is it so hard for us to... Why is it so hard for me to come into the office on a Monday and be like, dude, I, like, have I been a jerk to you? Sure. If I have, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. why is that so hard for us to do? <laughs> sure. Why is it so hard for us to say, if I have done this, to introspectively search and examine our own motives and hearts and say, you know what? 99.9% chance I am guilty of this. Yeah. Self-reflection. So yeah. yeah. Um, I think self-reflection is so hard because we do, we are under self-deception. And here's what I mean by that. Genesis 3, when sin enters in, the first thing that we see Adam and Eve do is yeah. blame the other. Yeah. And so that tells me something. That tells me that a consequence of sin is self-preservation mm. at the cost yeah. of somebody else. Yeah that our natural reaction is not to accept responsibility. I mean, we have to teach our kids this, and we have to learn this ourselves as adults, but that is not our initial reaction. And what David does through just the sheer power of the Holy Spirit is go, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. If the consequences that are happening in my life are a direct result of choices that I have made, then let these things happen. Yeah. Then I'm the one who has has done this. Yeah. And that is and and the reason why I think just these points build on each other. Yeah. And I think the absolute only way that David is able to do this is because he went to God first. Yeah. I yeah. mean, David has been able to pause, breathe, self-reflect, yeah. gather himself, boo-hoo and ball all of those emotions yeah. and then catch his breath yeah. and then step into reality, which yeah. is pretty powerful. That's good. And it's not just, he, it, David's not, again, we're reading this in context. David isn't just saying, hey, if I've done some things that I've made up, these are the things that Cush likely likely slandered him with. Yep. He said, these are the things that David is doing. So David's actually looking at the critic that he has here, Cush, and his criticisms and saying, am I actually guilty of this? Which I love the second point. Turn your critics into coaches. You've told tell this story again. You've told it before. You told it on Sunday and in the past. But I love it. What Billy Graham has has done in the past, yeah. um, in the midst of crusades and and all of that. Can you tell that? Yeah, story? there's a book I read a number of years ago called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham, and it's phenomenal. It's um, actually two previous New York Times columnists looked at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, yeah. which in 
I mean, has like 500 plus employees. It might even be bigger now. Long story short, they said, man, how many organizations and how many single people, like one person like Billy Graham, the founder of the organization, have been going this long in an organization and quite frankly, have never really been embroiled in a ton of controversy. Yeah. And so what they did is they looked at his life, looked at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and broke it down into a number of principles. And one of them was Billy turned his critics into coaches. Mm. And so what what he would do is when they would go into a, a, a town or a city, let's say the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and I actually worked with the association when Franklin Graham a number of years ago came into St. Louis for Rock the River. Yeah. And what they do is they come in months in advance, I mean almost a year before there's ever a crusade. They build relationships with local churches. They say, hey, we are not the local church. You are the local church. You guys are going to be doing the hard work of making disciples after we're gone from this crusade. So they build bridges with local churches, and then they hold a crusade three, four, five nights where there's preaching, there's singing, and there's a decision for people to come to Christ. The gospel is proclaimed. Well, Billy always through the years would just get bashed in cities because they didn't want him bringing this fundamentalist message and this, that, and the other. And what Billy would do is always the next morning uh, after the night of a crusade, he would have an employee go around, buy the morning newspaper, and read every article that was written about them. And here's why he would do that. He would read, and if there was critics... For example, this is a true story that's told in the book. One critic said, the only reason why thousands of people walk the aisle and come forward to accept the invitation to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior is because George Beverly Shea sings just as I am. And it's a highly emotional moment where people are already, you know, out in the audience and they're crying and they come forward and he, Billy, is manipulating people. Hmm. When Billy Graham read that, he said, for the next three nights and the remainder of the crusade, there will be no music for the invitation. Wow. None whatsoever. Because he said, Lord, if we're manipulating people, yeah. we don't want to do that. Yeah. They didn't do just as I am for three nights. And to this day, it is still some of the largest numbers wow. of the invitation of people that came forward. Wow. And so what Billy did is this, God, is what they're saying true? Yeah. Because if it is, please, we don't want, we don't want to be about any of that. Yeah. Make it untrue, Lord. And he turned his critics into coaches. But one of the things they say in the book is that requires a large amount of humility. 100%. That requires a large amount of humility to hear what somebody has said or written about you. Regardless of who it is, right? Yes. And first and foremost, go, gosh, man, is there any bit of truth here? Yeah. That's important. It's really important. Yeah. So much humility. It's so hard to do. Oh, Um, it's so hard to do. It's it's almost it's it it's so mind-boggling to me that you that it's hard it's more effort and work to keep silent uh, than it is to run your mouth, defend yourself, yep. uh, say I'm innocent of this or whatever. Um, in terms of in terms of turning a critic into a coach or just receiving criticism, um, regardless of who it is, and, and receiving it humbly, what's maybe some practical language that we could mm. give to our people to use when they receive truthful truthful criticisms. Sure. 
about their faith, their life, their character, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think number one, what you need to do is you do need to consider the source. Yeah. That's why we are saying your critic yeah. into a coach, yeah. but how you receive it and yeah. how you respond to it is a hundred percent your responsibility. A hundred percent your responsibility. Yeah. And so I think in a conversation, let's say very easily, you're in a conflict with an employee, with a spouse, family member. And this person says, the reason why we're, this conflict's happening and we're always in an argument is because you never follow through with what you're saying. Mm. I mean, I think it's going to take, number one, the power of the Holy Spirit for you in that moment not yeah. to pop off at the mouth. Right. But I think a very practical sentence that you can say is, I hear what you are saying and I do agree with some of what you are saying that I do have a tendency to be passive. Mm. And sometimes I do drop the ball and I am sorry for that. I'm going to do everything within my ability to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah. I mean, guys, let's get real here. Yeah. Can you imagine how quickly that would de-escalate right. a situation? Yeah. Immediately yeah. that yeah. would. Well, because you're validating. You're like you're validating the person's thought and their emotion that's bound up in this wad of criticism and emotion and all of that. You're Absolutely. validating it, but you're also humbly admitting and saying, if I've like, yes, I I agree with some of what you're saying and I I very much so can be that person that you're describing. But that takes so much security yeah. in humility yeah. as yeah. to who you are that, listen, nothing's on the line for you. Like this yeah. is a question that we learned a lot through gravity leadership is what's at stake for me in this? Yeah, That's a question you need to ask yourself. Yeah. And every time I find myself being defensive or something like that, yeah. it's because I feel like some, my reputation, yeah. my appearance, my image or something's at stake. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Some other things I think you could probably say are thank you. Right. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, or I haven't considered that. I need to think about that. Yes. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Or how about this? Straight from verse three. If I have done this. Yes. If there's wrong in my hands, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, make I, me aware of it again next time. I'll try to be more aware. Yeah. Thank you. I hear you. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yes, man. These yeah, are good man. things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move into this third point. We're running, we're running towards the end of our time here. Safety amidst slander. We go to God first and we can turn our critics into coaches, pulling that from David. And then the third one is this, trust the judge. Mm. Trust the judge. We see the characteristic of God's judgment here. I'm going to read from verse 6, 8, and 11. Verse 6, it says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment, a judgment. Verse eight, mm -hmm. the Lord judges his peoples. Judge me, O Lord. Some humility there according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. And then verse 11, God is a righteous judge. God, thank you for that word, righteous mm -hmm. judge. And a God who feels indignation every day. Yeah. Can we break down? Can we break this down? The 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 judgment characteristic and quality of God of, of God's character. Yeah, for sure. So so this is um, you know a big characteristic that we see, and this is one that tends to throw people for a loop. But and because the reason why is is why well, I thought God was love, right? Or this, that, and the other. But the sentence that we said was is God's love by its very nature leads him to hate wickedness. Hmm. God's love. 
leads him to have a level of hate against injustice or anything like that. Because the love he has is for his people. Yes. And verse 11 says, God's a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation or anger every day. I looked up the definition of that. Um, The guy who read our text uh, this week, Josh, love you, man. You do a great job. Um, He was like, what does indignation mean? I looked it up. And the definition is essentially anger towards unjustness yes. towards things that are not justly um, yes. solidified or brought to fruition. I, lo- I love that. Yes. So if there is truth and if there is rightness, which is sort of what is righteousness. Yeah. So over these past couple of years, seeing injustices yeah. and all of these things, guys, if, if we're angry about that, we are also assuming yeah. that there is a standard and that there is a standard bearer. Yeah. And what David is saying is, yes, there is. Yeah. And, and it is God. Yeah. And listen, this is something that... Christians, even in the early church that we see, and something that, quite frankly, I think the church, the modern church, has forgot about, but this gave early Christians great hope to know that God was the good and right judge. Listen, we said this Sunday, Jesus Christ came as a lamb once, yeah, one time. yeah. When he comes back, He's coming back as a lion from the tribe of Judah. Amen. He's coming as the judge to set everything right again. And the good news for that is how should we respond? Verse 12 says, if a man does not repent. Now, when we read verses 12 and 13, we could go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a problem with this. Right. It sounds like God's an angry kid with a magnifying glass, just ready to punish people. But in the reality of it, there's a way out. Yeah. It's repentance. Yeah. Amen. What it's saying is, is you have time. Yeah. That God is good. And then we also see in the text, number one, God doesn't use his sword. Yeah. Number two, God doesn't shoot the bow. Yeah. And I would even go as far as to say this, Christianity offers a God who in verse 12 absorbed the sword himself. Yeah. That Jesus Christ absorbed the blow. Yeah. That Jesus Christ took the sword of God's justice. Yeah. On our behalf. So. Yeah, man. No, that's good. And I, I love you quoted Romans twelve, um, beloved, never avenge yourselves. It, it, and just this language of, of, of God avenging and God being the one. Like it makes me. Right now, we're having to teach our our uh, two oldest kids, Jesse and Ethan, not to hit each other. Yeah. Um, Ethan is two years old. Will smack Jesse. Sure. And uh, and then Jesse wants to retaliate. She yep. wants to avenge what has happened to her, and so she will likely hit back. And we are trying to teach her and train her that you that you do not hit back. You right. don't get back at your brother. Mom and dad will come and rectify the situation. Amen. I will store up wrath for my son. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. He's two years old. I love it. No, I'm not yeah, going to do man. that to my kid. But that, that's the picture that I see painted here. And, yes. and in Romans 12, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Yep. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says yes. the Lord. In verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink Mm. for by doing so you're going to heat burning coals on his head of confusion of like, what is going on here? That's my translation. Verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that we serve a God who says, Hey, don't get back at your enemies. I got it taken care of. I'm storing up something for the future. And in Romans two, we have a more direct, do you suppose, oh man, this is verse three, 
you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? Yes. But because of your hard and impenitent, so unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's so much there, but there's yeah. so much good because we have to sit and process with it. Yeah. And the thing that's so important to note is the number one characteristic of God that makes us return to him, which is repentance, returning to your father's house, yeah. is his goodness and his kindness and yeah. his patience. Amen. That the way the prodigal thought my father's house is better than this yeah. and goes home is the way that we return as well. Yeah. But there's a balance here. Right. This God is also a righteous judge. And yeah. so what we said, and I think that people make this grave mistake don't ever mistake God's patience yeah. with his passivity. Yeah, that's verse four. Do you presume on the riches of his yes. kindness and forbearance and patience? So people like, are do asking. You sin and say, yeah, go you ahead. Know, and, and you even mentioned this before the podcast, like when we look at what's going on in Afghanistan right yeah. now and yeah. just the horrible turmoil that is affecting women, men, and children and, yeah, and, and everything. And there's, it's complicated and all of that, but people ask, you know, how could God allow something like that? Yeah. Well, the reality is, is that God is active. Yeah. God has a day of judgment yeah, man. in which he will reconcile. Yeah. And what our response is right now is to repent yeah. while there's still time for that. Yeah. So we should not mistake God's patience with passivity, yeah, that's a mistake that we make on our yeah. own, man. And as and as much as we, as, as much as, I don't care who you are, and as as much as those who are taking over Afghanistan right now, the the things that are being done, those hu- those are human beings who are also made in the image and likeness of yes. God. And Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, mm-hmm. to pray for our enemies. Yeah, uh, you took the words out of my mouth uh, when we see evil in the world and and even countries slandering one another for who's at fault for that evil. Right. We see that right now. Um, a great, a great, uh, uh, not reference, um, sorry, not definition. Ex- explanation is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, sure. Of the whole, where is your God now? What does it mean for God to store up wrath? And how can we see that in the world? That's, that's a, uh, it's a hard question to answer, but it's also one that, again, puts God first in our hearts and in our lives. Yes. It puts our trust and our hope in him. Um, even so to where we can we can say with the ones who have gone before us, Maranatha. Yes, Maranatha, come Lord, Lord, quickly. Come quickly. But the motivation, I think, under all of it, and this is how we ended, was we know exactly how Jesus responded. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when we want to defend ourselves and when we want to correct our reputation, we must be reminded of Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short. Yeah. What we're wanting to do is we're wanting to declare our innocence. Yeah. And before anything, nobody's innocent before God. Yeah. And Jesus Christ takes on our sin upon him. And it says there in First Peter that when he was reviled, verse 23, yeah. he did not revile in return. Amen. When he suffered... He did not threaten, mm. but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges 
justly. Yeah, man. That's the motivation Amen. is that Jesus did this for me. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, God's opinion is the only one that counts. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. I have, I can't remember. Do I normally read the closing verse? I've got, I want to read the, um, the, the Beatitudes before we leave. That's but beautiful, do, man. Um, do we want to do uh, any announcements or anything before we bounce? Uh, yeah, we've got the uh, business meeting coming up next Wednesday, August 25th. Yeah. Um, one of the things is, is if you are a covenant member and you're going to be out of town, you can actually fill out an absentee ballot yeah. and uh, be a part of that. Listen, we've got some super exciting things yes. coming up. Yes, in the month of September, um, about our men's group launching back, Westside Men, Westside Women. But guys, we've got some really exciting stuff that yeah. we're going to be able to share with you a on, super on cool podcast sermon series that you don't get to know about right now. Yep, and you're going to be it. hearing from some guests yep. in the future. Um, yeah, dude, just September is jam packed. So yeah. hold your horses. Radical, yeehaw, nay. Well, thanks again. Uh, you guys have heard this a thousand times. Send us your questions. Um, there, there are a lot of questions to be had, especially when we're going through like Psalms of Lament. Send us questions at info at westsidepb.org. You know our website by now, westsidepb.org, and you can hit us up on Facebook and find this podcast anywhere. Our, our uh, live stream happens at 10 a.m. on Sundays, and you can join us uh, through the summer for 10 a.m. service on Sunday mornings as well. Amen. I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount, not all of it, uh, but verses 1 through Let's see, we'll go through 10. No, we'll go through verse 12. 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mm. Thanks be to God for his word and Amen. this good news. Closing out with some blessings this yes. morning. Some blessings. Guys, we love you. Thank you for joining us and the rest of the sermon. This was a good one. Yeah, man. This was good. a good one. Enjoyed it. May everything that we say and do, as always, be all about Jesus. We love you. Blessings. Blessings, guys. Toodles. <laughs>